Spielman and Hooley We Tackle Life podcast. Mr. Spielman has bailed on his love for Master No, I have not bailed. Again, what did I say? So I like him as a backup, not as the guy. He can be the guy, but he's not going to. He needs more in his game. He's got a certain skill set that's really good. Yep. He's got a really good skill set. Okay. Yeah, that's what he is. He is what he is. And they need more. If they were pleased, plus the injury, right? So you go out. Yeah. Hurt himself on the first day of spring ball. Uh, it's been reported Achilles. It's also been reported uh, torn calf muscles. So what we want to do here is get as much depth as possible yep. because of the beating of the position. Yes, we uh, have a scouting report on Trey Sermon, Mr. Spielman. So now we'll have uh, a better idea of what kind of back we're getting. Uh, for the 2020 Ohio State Buckeyes, presuming that we play the season. Good morning, everybody. It is a Wednesday edition of the Spielman and Hooley We Tackle Life podcast. And if you're watching us on Facebook Live, which we hope you are, you'll say, wait a minute, where is Mr. Spielman? Well, Mr. Spielman is on the phone this morning because we are being respectful of the state's uh, guidelines or recommendations or uh, prohibitions against uh, things that are not essential. And as much as we'd like to think our podcast is essential, uh, I'm not sure that it is, although we could probably portray it under the headline of media, Chris, but we've decided to be respectful of the state's guidelines. Yeah, I do. I absolutely do. I think uh, I did venture out twice yesterday, and in full disclosure, my one of my daughters had a, uh, a therapy appointment that I deemed very important, and so we were able to do that, and she was the only one there, and it worked out well. And my other daughter is staying at her uh, stepmom and dad's house, forgot her computer for mm. class this morning. So I deem that important, but I do want to report in, in the interest of holding everybody accountable. I went from my garage to my car, to the driveway, to my car, to my garage. So I am doing my best with common sense. And if I do have to go out, uh, I think if I'm going to be one, I'll get up there and on a videotape and tell everybody to, you know, heed, heed the warnings and practice and be disciplined like we preached on uh, Monday about mm-hmm. being disciplined. Then I'm, I'm going to do it. But I'm also going to uh, take care of my family, which is my priority also. Yeah, I've been uh, sequestered at home. My wife has told me, no, no, no going out. No reason for me to go out. She'll do the shopping, and uh, I'll do what I do with uh, SI from home. Today we have a Ryan Day conference call at 1 o'clock. I've been trying to uh, go down memory lane with the Ohio State basketball Buckeyes, you know, recapping their best first-round wins, uh, biggest disappointments in the first round, second round. We'll get into the Sweet 16 this week, so I'll relive some of those Great six, Sweet 16 moments, including their comeback from 20 points down against Tennessee in the 2007 regionals down in San Antonio. And then next week, I'll get into what I think are Ohio State's five greatest players of all time in basketball, rank one through five. And just trying to do what I do, trying to hold on to my job, trying to give people things to read online. And so in that regard, yesterday, I reached out to a gentleman by the name of John Hoover. And John does what I do, only he does it for the University of Oklahoma. And I thought, okay. who better to give us a scouting report on uh, Trey Sermon than somebody who's watched him play for three sure. years at Oklahoma. So I asked uh, John what we're getting in Trey Sermon. And I think Ohio State fans will be excited about what he had to say. Uh, basically, for some reason, this is one of those things where uh, you've probably seen it in your career many times. A guy just fell out of favor with a coach, and the coach doesn't want to say why, and the coach won't say why. Uh, nobody really knows but uh, the kid seems to be a pretty productive player, and that's the situation with Trey Sermon. Here's the quote from John Hoover on why Trey Sermon lost his job at Oklahoma. He says, why he fell out of favor no one's been able to figure out. There are rumors that Trey and his running backs coach had a disagreement then. There are other rumors that they were very close. And when that coach, Jay Bulware, took a lateral move to his alma mater and went to Texas, Trey decided it was time to leave. So only Trey can answer that. When Lincoln Riley is pressed on it, he indicates there's really nothing to it. What do you make of that? I make of it that's uh, you can go to every meeting room in the country and hear yeah. that same story. Right, you, you can. Know? And so it is what it is. It, it, and it's kind of like um, it's kind of like how we deal with everything, right? E- eventually, 
you look back and maybe Lincoln and the running back coach and, and even Sermon himself, okay, look back, what did I did right? Uh, what did I do wrong? What would I have changed? But meanwhile, it's time to move forward. And whatever lessons I learned, good and bad, at Oklahoma, I'll apply those lessons. So the things I did well, I'll continue to do well. And some of the mistakes I made, uh, I'll eliminate those mistakes. Whatever that may be. Yeah. I don't know. You know, and so I think that, but again, that's that's more common than uncommon. Don't it is. You You're absolutely right. It is more common than uncommon. And here's the answer from John Hoover. I asked him what kind of back Trey Sermon is. I think this will excite Ohio State fans the most. He said, the game I remember most about Trey was uh, at Baylor his freshman year. He went for 148 yards in the fourth quarter alone, and people started calling him the closer. He, wow. has, he has the type of body and running style to wear defenses down and finish games. He's a pounder, a thudder, a guy who always finishes a run moving forward and yet, he's really good at making guys miss. He's also really adept in the passing game. He's definitely more power than speed, but he's a lot more nimble than you'd think. There's some well, J.K. Dobbins in there, and there's some Master Teague in there. That's what I heard. So now, now do the bad. Yeah. I mean, the bad is he's coming off a torn ACL, uh, right. but he takes says he takes a lot of hits, but he gives a lot of hits. Uh, I asked him, you know, what kind of production out of Trey Sermon at Ohio State would surprise him. And he says, if he were to go over 1,500 yards and 18 touchdowns or something like that, I might be surprised. But if he comes up short of those while still the primary back hits 1,000 yards and 12 touchdowns, that wouldn't surprise me at all. Well, that's encouraging. I'll, I think so, I'll too. That. But uh, can I put a caveat on that? Sure. Big 12 defenses, mm. optional. Good point. I, I mean, you Good know, point. I can't I can't sit there all year long and say, does the Big Twelve actually play defense? Yeah. And and so I I'm I'm sorry to damper everything. <laughs> when you said yeah just now, it sounded like somebody punched you in the in the in the nose. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> sorry about that. That is that is the reality check I didn't need. That is definitely the reality check I didn't need. Uh, I would say Big Ten prioritizes running the ball more than the Big 12 yeah. does. And their run defense is overall, in my opinion, okay, I, I, I get there's some Big 12 people that think they're dominant defenses. In my opinion, week after week, playing at Ohio State, it's going to be more difficult to get the 1,500-yard standard season. But, hey, it, again, what I said on Monday is I don't need him to get 1,500. Right. You know, I don't need him to have. Two or 240 carries or whatever that carries. If, if, if he can be productive and stay healthy, and the beautiful thing about J.K. Dobbins last year was that Ryan Day was able to limit the amount of hits because of the dominant performance of Ohio State throughout the year, right? Because mm -hmm. he didn't have to play him. Mm -hmm. Then mm -hmm. guess what? Leading up in, into the, the, the Big Ten, uh, Last, well, I think you did a stat on this or a graphic or an article of the last four games. That's oh. when J.K. was at his best. Yeah, he was crazy good. I mean, he was just yeah. over 150 every game and scored, I think, 10 touchdowns, maybe even more than that. I mean, he had four at Michigan. So, yeah, yeah J.K. was phenomenal. Uh, we thank those and of I, you who are joining yeah. us on Facebook Live this morning. And you can also uh, hit us on email, Podcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter as well. Well, I, but I don't want to, like, I'm sure, look, you get recruited by Oklahoma, it's like getting recruited by Ohio State. Mm -hmm. it, I mean, that that's the type of talent that that place um, attracts and brings in. So I'm excited. I'll tell you, you know, I'm, I'm trying to temper that a little bit because I just don't know because I haven't watched him and I trust my eyes. You know what I mean? Sure. I and anybody looks good on highlight videos. I mean, his highlight yeah. video is very impressive, but everybody looks good on their highlight video. And, you know, ergo, that's why it's called a highlight video. Yeah. But uh, yeah. I think, look, you got to go at some point in time when you're in the situation you're in with Master Teague and with Marcus Crowley and with the fact that your freshman running back, you know, uh, Mayan Williams out of Winton Woods, he's not as highly rated as uh, – you would ideally hope if you're going to turn it over to him, turn a roll over to him. It doesn't mean he can't be a good player. There are a lot of guys who come in. A.J. Hawk comes to mind who was a much better player than they anticipated. But uh, you're in a situation where you have a need. Okay, well, yeah, I got a need. You got to go out and you got to, you, you can only get what's there. 
Right. And Trey Sermon's what's there. Now, there's no question Trey Sermon's the best of what's there. You got the best of what's there, so you go on, you deal with the consequences of that. Yeah, and so we'll see. And don't forget, like, the guys that are on Ohio State, even guys that we haven't heard of yet, the one lesson that I learned under Urban Meyer, and even Coach Tress, Coach Cooper for sure, is that when a star leaves, there's a star in place to replace them. It yeah. goes back to my Star Wars theory, right? The guys in the white helmets. One guy gets shot with a laser beam. There's another guy replacing them right away. They just keep coming. And to me, that's the beauty of Ohio State. I mean, we don't know who's going to be a star in the secondary, but there's going to be one. Right. Well, I mean, Sean Wade will be one for sure, well, and then beyond I, that, talking, we don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I'm talking about at the other corners yeah. and other positions. We just don't know, but there's always somebody that's ready to step up and take that next step, and that's that's the excitement that I get, and I think that's the excitement that coaches get. I mean, you've been in enough press conferences, and this might be a good question to ask Ryan Day today, if mm -hmm. he's capable or willing to answer it is kind of maybe frame, I, I'm not telling you how to do your job, but I would kind of frame and say, look, Ohio State always has somebody that steps up and shines and that nobody's ever heard of. Right. Is there a list of possible candidates that the fans can look for, for maybe somebody that you know is going to be really good that fans haven't heard of yet? <laughs> that would be interesting to me. Yeah, you know, a, a, a spin on that, that is a really good question, is well, – Given Bruce Hooley, but I know, I was, I'm I'm impressed with that because I actually was thinking, <laughs> what do I ask him today? Uh, there you go. I'm but, here to do your job again. Here's go what ahead. I want to know: Given the circumstances they're under right now, no spring ball, nobody in the facility, is it harder for him to identify that guy? How much harder is it? Is it impossible for him to identify that guy? Uh, or what are guys doing now? I want how much contact does he have with these guys? I mean, they're not allowed to be in the facility. So right. are these guys just what kind of contact do they have with them? I'm sure that Mickey Marotti has given them all an individual strength program and they're doing their best where they are. And that's the other question I have is where are that's these a good guys? Question. Where are these yeah, guys? Where's CJ here most importantly, where is CJ Stroud and where is Jack Miller? Is Jack Miller back in Arizona? Is he back at the mm -hmm. Princess Hotel where he lives? Is C.J. Stroud back in Rancho Cucamonga, California? Because the most important thing for them to accomplish this year in spring practice, in my opinion, was establish a reliable backup quarterback behind Justin Fields so you're prepared for the worst-case scenario. That's what we're trying to do with the coronavirus, right? We're trying right. to add ventilators and beds and this and that and the other. We're trying to get prepared for the worst-case scenario. The worst-case scenario for Ohio State is Justin Fields gets hurt. Right. So who steps in for Justin Fields? We think it would be... One of the freshmen. Maybe it's Gunner Hoke, but yeah. most likely it's one of the freshmen. So which one? Well, you don't have spring ball to litigate that, to, to have that competition. Betsy, uh, I think one of the disadvantages that uh, another good question to ask Ryan is the uh, retardation of the growth of your young quarterbacks and young players as a whole. And so maybe uh, we won't see as many freshmen as play early on. Now, yeah. somebody might come out and grow and develop throughout the practice sessions because the practice sessions are still very competitive, something that Urban set up and that I'm sure Ryan has continued um, to see uh, how much this hurts the development of really young players. Veteran players will get it and pick it up pretty quick. That's why I don't know if the NCAA will do this, uh, I am a proponent of, you know, moving training, giving them an extra week of training camp. Because you think about it, you get an extra week of training camp and you can do some type of, you know, even skill work or whatever. You're getting maybe four or five more looks at guys that you normally would not get. And so they've already had a few spring practices. So they have a, a minimal idea of what these guys can bring. But you add an extra week of training camp, I think it'll give you just a little bit better evaluation as you progress toward that first game of the season. Yeah, I think anything's on the table. Uh, I don't know that they would allow, you know, team-to-team -team practices like they have in the NFL. But uh, first of all, we don't know if we're going to have – we don't know when we're going to come out of this. And that's the big – you know, that's the big controversy now is, is – how long's this? How long are these precautions going to last? Uh, we'll dive into that a bit in the uh, faith portion of the podcast, at least my portion. Uh, the intersection of sports and the coronavirus this morning. I don't know if you've seen it. The uh, 
really emotional and hard-to-watch video of Carl Anthony Towns talking about his mother, and his mother is in a medically induced coma. Uh, this is starting to touch the sports world. It's uh, pretty obvious it's going to touch the sports world. It touches everywhere. I saw a story last night on the news about a young man, a lacrosse, two-time All-American at a small school, 25 years old, perfectly healthy, picture of health. He's in a medically induced coma. He's being uh, life-flighted to uh, University of Pennsylvania Hospital. His mother was on the news, um, and the situation does not look promising. They're trying a new drug protocol. Um, this is a story that, unfortunately, is going to be repeated uh, over time as we head toward what we hope is the spike for this thing, but we don't know how long uh, this virus is going to uh, change our world, change our lives. Well, again, to me, I hate all of it. I hate that part of it. And I think it's important and vital for people uh, to listen to what the experts are saying. And the experts are all saying pretty much uh, on the, on the, from the federal level to the state level to the local level about the social distancing stuff. And I, I really believe uh, when you hear stories like this, it, it kind of touches home. So any anytime, you know, I've heard some stories from some cancer patients, Bruce. Mm -hmm. One uh, one cancer patient that I know, a survivor, uh, developed an infection. And so, you know, she's at risk, and now she has to go in and get that infection taken care of. And, you know, that's the last thing you want to be. So everybody uh, has tremendous challenges, and it touches everybody. And so for those of us that uh, still have a chance to do something about it, it is our civic duty and I believe our human duty to adhere to the guidelines that were given to us the best we can. And on that being said, I, I just think you use common sense. Obviously, when you have something of a pandemic or any type of serious illness that is spreading like it is, uh, it's our duty to protect each other. Then when we hear of uh, famous people that may get it, then it kind of, it's, or somebody that we can relate to, it kind of hits close to home to, to me. I mean, just think. It when, does. First, it really got, pop, not popular, but it really caught a lot of people's attention. It's just how we are as a society. Mm -hmm. It's not good. It's not bad. When Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson attracted. The yeah, body. and Rudy Gobert, too. You know I mean? When, when yeah. you got an NBA player that had it, all of a sudden it was like, whoa, young, healthy people can get this. You know, so. Sean Payton. Sean Payton, uh, and there will be others, uh, no doubt yeah. about it. Uh, I don't know what the right answer is on this stuff, um, but again, we'll get into it a little bit. I wanted to pursue yeah. some NFL news with you, two things. One concerns Malcolm Jenkins, the former Buckeye. We talked about his appeal to a team and what he might sign for, and his desire when he left uh, Philly was to get an Earl Thomas-like contract. You said there's no way he's getting that. He returns to New Orleans Here's the breakdown on Malcolm Jenkins' contract, and to me this screams one thing, but you're the expert on it, so you tell me what you draw from it. His salary in 2020 is $1 million. His salary in 2021 is 6.2. In 2022 is 6.7. And the 2023 is $7 million. What do you draw from that? Uh, I, it's exactly what I thought it would be. I think that's a, a deal. I think that I don't believe i hope he does uh i'm not sure because just because of malcolm what is he 30 31 yeah 32? i think so yeah i don't know if we're going to see malcolm be playing through that whole contract i think it's a it's a player friendly friendly contract I team friendly don't you think it's team friendly yeah that's what i mean team yeah. friendly but i do imagine it's riddled with incentives well here it says he's getting 16 and a half guaranteed and a that's nine and a nine million dollar signing bonus. So yeah, that's, that's surprising that's, to me. Uh, Feels like a I mean, two year deal. It feels like a two year yeah. deal to me. And that, that you know that's not bad for a safety. But Malcolm is is a player that brings intangibles, and so I think they're counting on that and leadership and making plays. And he's a he's a really good player. He's just long in the tooth. So I think he's getting paid fair. Uh, for his for what he is you know he's not a great man-to-man -man cover guy but that's not what you have him for Malcolm's smart he's instinctive he's he, he makes a lot of plays but if you're going to ask him to play in the slot which they will not ask him to do then he can't play there but uh, he makes a lot of plays Bruce and he's smart and he's he's as reliable the best put, 
description I have him often because I did a lot of Eagle games at the end of the year. The best thing I have about him is that he's never out of position mm-hmm. and he's reliable. It's like, it's kind of like me and Tom Brenneman. And I told Tom this and he kind of agreed. I said, look, we're not Troy Aikman and Joe Buck in the executive's eyes. We're just not, you know, and that's okay. We're just not. But what we are is two guys that say, I got these two guys on this game. I trust them. They're reliable and they'll do a good job. And that's it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, a, it's like, a, to me, it, it's now I'm, I might be overstating my value to Fox, but that's just how I seem to see it. No, yeah. I don't think you are. I think you, you'll do a real solid job. I obviously have a higher, I, I like the way you and Tom do a game. So, and right. you know, I'm friends with both you guys. So I'm, yeah. you know, more partial to that, but I think that's a good analogy. Right. Just, um, just, you know, you'll do a hey, solid job. Malcolm yeah. will do a solid job. Yeah, this, put these guys over here. You know, the one thing we know is that we don't have to worry about it. <laughs> you know, we won't worry about other things, yeah. other, other players. And there's put nothing. Malcolm, right, put Malcolm in here, and guess what? We don't have to worry about that position because he'll do a good job and, and just be consistent. And I think that's a good thing to have. Uh, we want to re- uh, apprise you of a couple of things we have going on with the podcast. First and foremost, uh, our friends at Hemisphere Coffee Roasters, the official coffee of the Spielman and Hooley podcast. I would assume Mr. Spielman has had a cup or will have a cup today unless you've run out of your Nicaraguan well, blend K-cups. I had it, and I did uh, two and a half miles of uh, walking this morning already. So Fantastic. Fantastic. Hemisphere Coffee Roasters will give you 15% off if you use the promo code in all caps. We tackle life. They have many different kinds of coffee. They buy direct from the grower. Their motto, uh, we shake the hand of the coffee farmer. And the uh, money that they pay the grower is much greater than the grower in Thailand or Nicaragua would receive if they went through the normal government channels. As Everybody has to grab a piece of the pie in those situations. So Hemisphere is doing great work across the world. Uh, their primary grower, Diego, in uh, Nicaragua uses the money that he gets from Hemisphere to plant churches. He's planted 51 churches. Their Thailand grower uh, employs 70 women, and the options for women uh, in the employment realm in that remote village of Thailand are not good. It's the coffee industry or it is uh, the sex trafficking industry. So we are big fans of Hemisphere, not just of their coffee, but of their mission, and we hope you'll be fans of them too. Support a great business, and they are still open during all the cutbacks since they supply grocery stores and other food stores they are considered essential so get your order in via hemispherecoffeeroasters.com they ship free on uh, orders i think of three bags or more but their shipping is very 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 minimal and uh, make sure you let them know you're a spielman and hooley podcast listener and you can do that by using the promo code in all caps we tackle life friday we will draw four winners of 100 dollars, courtesy of mr spielman who wants to give back as he always has uh, now giving back to people who need uh, financial assistance during this time of cutbacks and job loss and things like that. So nominate someone or nominate yourself, Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, we gave away four on Friday. We'll give away four more uh, this Friday. Here's an interesting nomination. It comes from Chad. He says, I would like to nominate my ex-wife. Wow. I have... I have seen my workload reduced due to reduction of elective surgery. He says both are in the healthcare industry. She is on the front line. She is a respiratory therapist. Anything to ease the burden she is facing, she's offering to pick up as many shifts as she can during this pandemic, putting herself in more risk. I'm sure anything that would help her with gas money or whatever, and my support checks are reduced since my salary is reduced, would go a long way. We have three children that we are caring for. That's phenomenal, Chad. Good for you. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, I love the fact that you guys are obviously uh, getting along well because that's great for your kids. Hey, here is Janice who says uh, via SpielmanHooleyPodcast at gmail.com, I would like to nominate my best friend Elizabeth. She's more of a sister than a friend. Her husband recently lost his job and is a disabled veteran. She gives so much to other people, never asks for anything in return. She has health issues of her own, but she never lets that keep her from being a positive force. She's doing her best to care for her family. I love her with all my heart. I would be lost without her love and friendship. Can you please help? Yeah, we certainly hope we can. So we'll draw winners. We're not going to judge one need over another, but we will draw winners, and you can uh, get your uh, nomination in at SpielmanHooleyPodcast at gmail.com. That's cool. Good. I'm glad that we have uh, people that are are reaching out and – 
hopefully we can we can help them. I was actually on a radio show in Canton, Ohio, with uh, Kenny and uh, JT. Kenny and JT, Kenny Rota. Yeah, yeah, Kenny Rota and JT uh, Turk uh, yesterday, and we were able to spread the word. So hopefully we'll get some nominations out of there. And the cool thing I was telling them, and what I'm trying to tell everybody, that a lot of people that have won have been able to match what we're giving. And so that person is uh, getting double the help. So it's really cool uh, to, to see that. And I'm really inspired to, to keep doing this until this thing ends, to be able to help people in, in whatever it is. It might be, you know, to buy one week of groceries. I mean, how cool would that be able to do for a family, right? Absolutely. Or, or to, to pay some bills or whatever. So we'll keep doing it as long as pe- people keep uh, throwing it in the bucket. So let's go. Absolutely. Uh, wanted to ask you one NFL thing before we get to the emails, and boy, do we have. Uh... I, I had a, I have a couple NFL things. Okay, great. So the first one that I saw this morning, the headline is that Roger Goodell wants to continue with the draft on right. April the twenty third. Uh, the GMs, some GMs would like it moved. The perception of some GMs who cannot get in their buildings, I would assume that's GMs in New York State and in the state of California that it gives other teams a distinct advantage if they can be in their buildings and these other uh, teams cannot. What do you know about that? What is Rick's position okay. on it? If you can share. All right. If you can share. I, uh, no, yeah, I, I actually was able to uh, talk with Rick and ask them what kind of circumstances are they are they operating under. And right now, there's, you know that beautiful, they have a beautiful new building, mm-hmm. right? I mm-hmm. mean, it's it's enormous. And there are two people in there. It's Rick and the assistant general manager. Everybody else, everybody else is operationally uh, remote, uh, remote-wise. And they were able to get clearance to go in there. But everybody else is remote. And so I was talking to him about this, and he's on board with all the other GMs. Like, this is at such a huge disadvantage because you need to have access to the doctors. You need to have access to all the assistant coaches. You need to have access to scouts, you need to have access uh, to um, the trainers. Everybody involved makes that decision and things happen so fast that I don't know how they're gonna be able to do this at the the speed which they need to do it unless they adjust the rules to the draft and give them more time in between picks. Mm -hmm. Because even, even a decision on making trades, right Bruce? That the decision on making trades, somebody might be in charge of the medical of a guy that they wanna make a trade for. So people would ask why they can't do this via like what most people are communicating via Zoom calls now or WebEx calls or go to meeting calls. Why can they not do that, do that same thing? Because I I just don't, I think when you have, you need immediate answers Mm -hmm. right now, I'm not sure that you can get that. And the other thing that is, is the, the ability to sign college free agents when, when you have different people negotiating at different times. Right, they're running in and out of rooms, and they're they're in uh, when, after the draft. As you you know, you have to be able to sign a certain amount of guys that are college free agents. I just think logistically, it's going to be very challenging. And the other biggest challenge, I think, that's the second uh, most important issue that they have. The first most important issue that they have is that they're not getting to meet these guys. Yeah, I mean, you're you're going to True. be given millions of dollars to guys that you've never uh, met. Or you might have shook their hand or whatever at the combine, but you know they usually have top thirty visits. You know what those are, correct? Yeah. Where they bring their top thirty prospects in and then they host them and they spend time with them, they talk to them, they get to know them. So it's, it's going to be very challenging. <clears throat> Excuse me, but the commissioner uh, is adamant, from my understanding, from what I read, that the draft is going to go on as scheduled. And I understand the need because I do think the NFL does serve a purpose here. I do too. I mean, people think that's petty. I don't think it's petty. No, I, I, I think do. it's some degree of normalcy. We need some degree of normalcy yeah. in our life. I welcome any NFL news that I get coming across my Twitter feed. I really do because I, I think it's interesting to me and it, and it gives me something to look forward to. But it's certainly going to be a major challenge uh, for all teams, and especially guys like Rick who are – you know, you think about this. All these guys are in charge of billion-dollar businesses. Yeah, and, and and I get it. You know, so is everybody else. But I, we're just speaking in perspective here, in relative terms. 
that, you know, they get judged on draft day on the decisions that they make. And so they're all at certainly at a disadvantage, but like anything else, the ingenuity and the ability to adapt GMs aren't GMs by accident. You know, they're highly organized people that are creative and innovative and they usually figure a way out how to do it. Yeah. I don't know a perfect solution. I mean, the first thing I thought was, well, let's create sameness for everybody. Let's bring them all to one location. Okay. Well, right there, you're in violation of what all the authorities are telling us is the safest way to handle the spread of this virus. Can't do that. You'd have to have an unbelievable amount of infrastructure and communication equipment where is where is going to be a safe place at whatever date you would establish for the draft, whether it's May, whatever? You don't know where. I mean, if you listen to the experts, New York, and I heard Governor DeWine say yesterday, what New York's experiencing now, Ohio State's going to experience, or Ohio is going to experience in three weeks. So try to project where where the hot zones are going to be in late May. You can't do it. So I, I have no idea. It requires a lot of wisdom and um I don't know all the nuances of it. It's a challenge. There are many challenges going on right now. That one's not certainly yeah. not forefront, but for business as usual of the NFL, I agree with you. It does have a purpose. A distra- any healthy distraction at this point in time, any snippet of life, normal life, is extremely, to me, welcome. So, yeah, I don't, I don't see the harm and moving it. So I, I didn't see that. Governor Wine said we're going to be New York in three weeks. In three we weeks, yeah. Be, or we or we could be New He York, said their we... expectation, and this was uh, Amy Acton yesterday, uh, as I watched him yesterday afternoon, their expectation yeah. is Ohio is about three weeks to a month behind New York. So where they are right now, and if you watch Governor Cuomo yesterday, he's painting a dire picture of, of the situation in New York. Uh, mm-hmm. That's where, uh, you know, and I think – Number one, you have to be prepared for that. If you're prepared for that right. and it doesn't happen, great. If you're not prepared yep. for it and it does happen, that's yep. really bad. So that's why they're that's why they are giving the projections and taking the uh, the position that they are taking. Yeah. Okay. We got uh, we have some really outstanding emails today, so let's transition into the email portion of the podcast, which will get us into the faith portion of the podcast. You can always reach out to us and reach us at Podcast at gmail.com. Get those nominations in for people who are in need. You know, Chris, you'll like this. I saw the Clemson uh, SI site last night is giving away. They're having uh, readers uh, contribute money, and they're giving away $250. They gave away 1000 last night, four checks for $250. Great. So I applaud that. Uh, the gentleman there in charge of the Clemson site is Zach Lentz, and I did not get a chance to meet Zach at the Fiesta Bowl because, unfortunately, Zach's wife passed away of breast cancer. Um, right during that particular time. But it's great that here, you know, three months uh, after uh, that, he is already taking uh, a sacrificial attitude toward others and helping others. And I just want to applaud him. And uh, they're good people everywhere. Uh, So that's uh, an awesome thing. Here's an email that we received from uh, not Zach Lentz, but a different Zach in uh, northeastern Ohio. This is why we do the podcast, folks. This made our day yesterday. It's a long email. I can't read it all, but basically, let me give you the story. Zach grew up in a church, um, and like me, uh, had a propensity to be lazy in his faith, uh, and that leads to, as Satan often does, beat you up with your failures. So here's a snippet of his email to us. Uh, I wasted so much time playing the what-if game that I reached my breaking point. We have three kids similar to your daughters in age, Bruce. Uh, what was I teaching my kids? Go to church, believe in God, even though he's not good enough for me. What a waste of my life and my time. I was a hypocrite. God finally spoke to me loud enough that it got through my thick head. He just kept saying to me, Zach, am I not good enough? Have I not always provided enough? Why is that not good enough? Despite what you think, Zach, you are good enough because I created you and I am with you in everything you do. I'm with you in times of blessing, times of suffering, uncertainty, etc., Uh, He said, the topics you and Chris share helped me see this. So I praise God for his faithfulness and mercy. I'm thankful he's put a woman in my life who's helped me see that every day. Amen to that, brother. And uh, he says, the message that you and Chris share every show is very unique and it's needed. I'm glad for the two guys in a basement consulting firm because it provides me with motivation, inspiration, and direction. On days when I feel I don't have it. 
So that's uh, why we do this, and we really appreciate that uh, affirmation, Zach. Really outstanding. Yep, thank you. Uh, another long email this morning from Chris. So I can't read the whole thing because it would make the podcast an hour and a half long, but I do appreciate uh, the heart Chris uh, shares with us. And he's talking about how you and I sometimes express our frustration uh, that we can't pull together through this crisis as Team America. Uh, Chris comes at life from a different political perspective than you and I do, but he comes at it from a very uh, reasonable perspective. And uh, I think he's in the leadership realm. Mm -hmm. So here's, uh, I'm going to try, as we say, we read these cold on the air. So I'm going to try to summarize it accurately. Okay. Um, When I hear you folks express frustration that you want to go to the TV and punch somebody or something like that, I think you may be better able to manage the situation if you ask these questions first. Uh, Highly critical people will drive emotion in others. So why is a specific person critical of the president or Nancy Pelosi or whoever? Their words and actions reveal they're critical of leadership. But do we really know where they are on a vertical scale? I certainly don't because I do not know the person's true feelings about the larger team, all of America, not just their tribe. I might have an idea or a bias, but I don't really know for sure what is in a person's heart. Only God knows that. I think they are truly concerned for one another and care and feel compelled to express themselves. That might be a good thing. He says, I do believe there are some people who really gripe just because they like griping. Uh, but I always go back to this. What would Jesus do? I firmly believe that he directly challenged the leaders of his time. The religious leaders hated him for this, and they eventually had him crucified as retribution. He also preached unconditional love, and therefore he calls us to be uh, productive servant leaders. You guys know this because you know our Bible far better than I do. But Jesus also forgave folks uh, who were not fully on board. I'm translating as I go because he talks about some leadership stuff that I think would confuse people. Uh-huh. Uh, when does a Christian show obedience to authority versus hold leaders accountable? It's not an easy answer, one I grapple with finding each day. And he goes on to point out that uh, he thinks De- Governor DeWine, a Republican, is doing a good job. He does not think President Trump, a Republican, is doing a good job. He thinks Governor Cuomo of New York, a Democrat, is doing a really good job. He does not think Mayor de Blasio of New York, a Democrat, is doing a good job. So he says, uh, hopefully you guys take this in the spirit's meant, not a criticism, but something to consider. Uh, I'm not convinced my ideas are necessarily valid or correct ideas. So that's this gets to the heart of what you've talked about before, Chris, and it's talking to people, not talking over people. Right. For, well, look, I, I look at it like this. Obviously, I don't agree with what everybody says. I don't agree with what everything Governor DeWine says, but I support what he's doing in a time of crisis. Uh, I agree with, I don't agree with everything President Trump says, but I also support the president in a time of crisis. And so for me, uh, there is a time to pull together. And when we're fighting a common enemy, then that's the time to pull together. And I do believe it's our duty to support uh, those that are trying to get us through this, as opposed to kind of always fighting them. That, that doesn't do anybody any good when everybody, there's a general consensus for the most part on how we combat this. So if there's a general consensus, then as Christians, we do have to submit to the authority of the leadership and trust that God is using these people uh, to get us through this. Now, you can agree or disagree with them on how you're doing it, but I think the biggest thing about it is everybody is saying, you know, be smart, common sense do the social distancing if you have a stay at home unless you need to absolutely go out don't go out and and do what you're asked to do uh, for the greater good and i think anybody that has any knowledge about what we're fighting here this is a chance for everybody to serve the greater good in a common sense way regardless of who's delivering the message the message is the same yeah, I think actually the mess, and I think that's true. Uh, I do think, too, there are different roles for different leaders. Uh, I think the president of the United States would not be the best 
use of his leadership to be doom and gloom. Uh, I think the president of the United States at a time like this, you want, I want, I'm going to speak for myself, I want the president to express confidence in America, in the American spirit, in the American future, and all that. So, uh, by the same token, I think you can express that and behind the scenes uh, be better prepared, say, on the testing side. I don't know why we were not prepared on the testing side. I don't know if there was, I don't know if this is possible to test for in a expedient manner. I haven't kept up with the nuts and bolts of that, but I would like to get a straight answer on that. I watched some of the town hall yesterday afternoon, and I got frustrated when Vice President Pence wouldn't give a direct answer to the plea from Governor Cuomo for 30,000 ventilators. I just like President Vice President Pence to say, we don't have 30,000 ventilators, or we have 30,000 ventilators, but you can't have all 30,000 because California's going to need 10,000 or what? So I just like an, a direct answer. Um, Governor DeWine, however, I think I'm okay with him painting more of a more of a realistic, realistically alarming, I guess I'll say, scenario. But I also think he needs to be careful because he can come off like, you know, doom and gloom. And Dr. Yeah. Acton can come off like Dr. Doom, too. Uh, I don't want to not be told the truth, but I also think it's, well, I will acknowledge it's a very fine line to scaring people and to... Um, expressing uh, hopelessness and helplessness. I don't think we've gotten there yet in the state of Ohio, but I would like for our state people to, if it's merited, again, if it's merited, maybe it isn't, be more hopeful. Well, do we ever talk about the amount of recoveries that happen each day at those press conferences? It doesn't seem to me like we do. Um, And how many people have come out of this? And that are doing fine, or that maybe how many people might have had it, had it, and recovered, without, or never reported it, which skews yeah. the numbers. Yeah, right. Or with, without diminishing uh, the seriousness of it, I, you know, nobody's asked me, but I would say, okay, well, this many people have recovered from it. These people are doing fine. These people are, are back to normal. It's still very serious, and we still are learning about this virus. But a lot of people have beat this. So I don't understand why that's never said. I, I don't understand that. I have no idea. Well, I think we, there we, we always talk about the death rate. How about the recovery rate? That's yeah. said, I'm just, that's, I'm not being critical. I'm just saying, you know, yeah, we've had. Um, whatever the number in Ohio is, 68 or whatever the number is that have, have passed away because of this disease, disease. But we've also had thousands of people recover from this disease. Is yeah. that wrong to say that? It's not wrong to say that. I think what they're fearful of is that um, if they accentuate the recovery rate, maybe people don't take seriously the shelter-at-home order. They go out uh, and they exacerbate the spread of the disease. That's my only assumption as to why they don't uh, emphasize the recovery rate. I also do think we're in an unknown. I've, I think I shared this on Monday. I've t- I have two doctors I have access to. One's a much closer friend than the other. One's more of an acquaintance, but I've had an opportunity to engage both of them in conversation about this. My close friend, who's a doctor, phenomenal doctor, phenomenal guy, uh, expressed a ton of confidence, and he said today, To me, he said, you know, you learn in medical school that you are capable of going beyond where you think you're capable of going because they they put you through it, man. And it's a mental toughness test. So he said, you carry that optimism and that realization about your own capabilities and your own potential. He says, I carry that forward into how I view our ability to deal with this problem. Now, the other doctor that I talked to was much more pessimistic. This is really going to be bad. Now, She's an ER doc, so she's right there, you know, among it. But so's right. my so's my other friend. Uh, so it's um, it's look, it's tough, and and maybe this is a good time to alert people that we're going to transition into the faith portion of the podcast. I was watching, and I don't do this every day, uh, but yesterday I happened to have time in my day to watch the governor of state of Ohio and also governor of New York, Governor Cuomo. 
Now, the day before I watched Governor Cuomo, and I thought I was I was really heartened. I thought Governor Cuomo was quite uh, complimentary of the president. It's just really good for me to see that cross for everybody cross political lines. And it's good when President Trump does that. Yes, also. absolutely. Uh, and then yesterday, Governor Cuomo, I didn't. He was critical of the government, but I felt like it was um, his tone yesterday trended toward desperation. Now, look, if if he is right and they're going to need 30,000 ventilators in the city of New York and they're 30,000 short, I understand the desperation. Sure. What struck me is this time in our lives is a collision of desperation on one hand and opportunity on another. Um, I've spoken about this being opportunity before. So this morning I was trying to think. We both have. Yeah, I really wanted to to pray about what could I say today to be encouraging and to like, like basically I just said, Lord, what what is the message you want me to share with people today? I, I sat down to do my devotion and I didn't feel like I had a real clear idea of what I should talk about. Um, so I was reading in 2 Timothy, and right after I prayed, it seemed like everything I read about was about this discord and all this kind of stuff. And so here's uh, a verse that I thought illustrated the situation that we're in and that holds me accountable at this time. It's 2 Timothy 2. Verse 23, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. Yeah. And the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. So I have to, and you, you started me down this road a while back on the Twitter policing Am I using all my avenues for productive conversation and not stupid arguments? Now, I want to ask you, I took something Governor Cuomo said yesterday, and I retweeted it because I thought it was very true, very true, but I applied it in a place where he wouldn't apply it. He talked about this ventilator need and that he did not want to get into a situation uh, where basically an older person comes in and they say, sorry, can't give you a ventilator. You're an old person. You're, for lack of a better term, you know, you're collateral damage. You're expendable. And he said to the reporter, my mother's not expendable. Your mother's not expendable. We don't want to get to a point where human life is expendable. I agree with that, but I also apply it to human life in the womb. And so I said, I tried to tweet it as, unprovocatively, just logically, because I'm all about, okay. I'm all about like intellectual honesty now. Tell the people what you said at the end of the tweet, then I will. And I want to, and I want you to tell me, so I got to get Twitter up here to read it. I think I remember. You said now do abortion. I said, yeah, bravo governor Cuomo on this. You know, I said now do abortion. Okay. So how's that come across? Because you're changing, you're like, it's a little different when you're speaking because I can hear the context, right? And mm-hmm. I hear voice inflection. So on Twitter, when you say now do abortion, you make a great point and you applauded somebody that politically you disagree with, that I may disagree with, but then you were doing so well, then you do now do the abortion. And what you could have done, in my opinion, is send out a second tweet and say, Governor Cuomo, you're right, all life is expendable. So maybe you can see where, or all life is not expendable, all, all life is not, whatever it is. Here's the second tweet I sent. Here's the second tweet. I, I retweeted a tweet from him, and his tweet said, my mother's not expendable, your mother's right. not expendable. We will not put a dollar figure on human life. That's his tweet. Right. So I retweeted it, and I said, wholeheartedly agree. Please explain why the same compassion, logic, and morality does not also apply to economic profiteering off death by Planned Parenthood. Okay. That was my second tweet. You're right. 
and I think on Twitter it comes across as because of your background and because of what you believe, it comes across as your your every good every good thing you said about him, you're now taking it back because he's not doing the same with abortion. I would say, I guess the point how I would communicate that. So if I would have a an audience with Governor Cuomo. I would say all those things that I said, and I said, now, Governor Cuomo, now you understand. Now you understand, hopefully, where people with a pro-life position, where they come from, on the importance of life. That's a great, that's a great way to say it. That is a and, great and, way to say it. And so what I've learned throughout my years in, in how to deal with people that disagree with me, first of all, I, I acknowledge how they feel because whether I disagree with their feelings or not, I at least acknowledge them, you know, instead of, instead of dismissing them or saying, um, you don't know what you're talking about, you freaking idiot. Yeah. You know, I, I'll say, I get that. Okay. But now what you're feeling now is what every pro-life person feels when they hear mm. of another abortion. Mm. That's what we feel every single time. That and is so, so good. That is so good, Chris. Well, I well, I mean, I'm can I'm open to consulting. I should have called you. I should have called you. I should have. I should have. I wished I would have. Well, the the thing that I, I I read your tweet, then it you did you did at the bottom, you know, because that's the initial tweet. I didn't read the second tweet. I read the first tweet. When you say now do abortion, okay, that's snarky. Because. Or it can be perceived as snarky. Yeah. I'm sure you can see that. Right? Yes, absolutely. No, I can. You're right. And so so think about, and, and people laugh at me, but when I worked out, I used to watch Dr. Phil a lot, right? Mm-hmm. I used to watch it. I, it's, you know, just past time on a treadmill or whatever. But I would, I watch it not to see the devastation in people's lives and he, him trying to fix it. I watch it because there's good advice that all people can offer, good wisdom that everybody can offer, regardless of where they fall on a political spectrum. That This is my feelings, right? And, I, and I've gotten better at this over the years. Just because I disagree with them with every fiber of my being doesn't mean that they don't have wisdom to give to me that I can use. I respect them enough as a human being to listen to them, discern what they're saying, Think about what they're saying, then make a decision on what they're saying and saying that makes a lot of sense. And so Dr. Phil, the biggest thing I learned from Dr. Phil, and he uses it probably every other episode, those of you that watch Dr. Phil know what I'm saying, is that I have really done a great job. I've done a phenomenal job of of stop trying to be a right fighter. So I can, at the end of the argument, I can stand up and say, I was right, you were wrong. I don't want to do that. Mm -hmm. What I want is the result that I want. I'm not worried about being right. I'm worried about getting the result that I want to get. And so by me would saying to Governor Cuomo would be, I understand the the angst and the anxiety and the fear and the... uh, the sadness that you may have about no life is expendable. I understand that just from our perspective, governor, just so you have an understanding of where pro-life people are coming from. Every time there's a baby ripped from a womb, that's how we feel. Yeah. And I don't understand how people can't make that connection. I just, I just don't understand how people can't make that connection. Um, I don't either, but I'm, (sighs) you know, I'm not going to, you know, sit there then <clears throat> criticize, you know, because, you know, I, I was reading some of your things on, on, on your, your comment section, you know, so then everybody goes back to the same old talking points. As you're going to say, this is just how we feel. Just think about how we feel. I'm thinking about how you feel. Yes, Governor Cuomo, you have an elderly mother and she is not expendable. No life is expendable. Um, you know, another good story I heard along that, Bruce, is that a 72-year-old priest in a shortage of ventilators gave up his ventilator mm-hmm. so that somebody younger could have it. I don't know if you saw that story. I did not. not. Sherry and I actually talked about that last night. 
I said, you know, I, I would much rather a young person who's not come to Christ get the ventilator over me or yeah. an old person who's not come to Christ get the ventilator right. over me because I know where I'm going. Right. Well, that's, that goes into the, the fear thing that people have. Um, so I, I, I really think, uh, I think from your Twitter, I think that, you know, you started out so good. <laughs> well, you know, every time you and I talk about this, I get, I get educated and I get better. And I just, I was like, wow. When he said that, I thought, yes, that's what that please. Why can't you make the connection? Yeah. But there's a better way to have much better way. Him to much think better about way. the connection because when you way. say now do abortion, what does if he was reading that, I assume that automatically what's he going to do? He's going to shut down. Oh, look at this idiot. You know? Yeah. Because of, you know, you're trying to be clever or smart or, you know, I'll show you, you know, as opposed to saying, now you know. Now you understand why we feel the way we feel. Yeah. This is how we feel. And we don't understand why you can't make the connection. I'm glad you value human life. Great. Fantastic. Can you please see how incongruous it is? How how incompatible it is to value an elderly life that's had the opportunity to experience all the wonderful things of life. And you see how incompatible it is to value that life and not to value a baby that's never gotten the opportunity to change the world, experience the world, impact the world. Yeah, and I, I think if you do it with, and in, in, in you started out with uh, respectfully, Governor Cuomo, in, because it, it's a, you, we can't have conversations with people if we don't do it with respect. Correct. Because if you don't do it with respect, my experience has been that people automatically put up their defense mechanisms, correct? Yeah. And then they, they don't hear what you're saying. And so if you do it respectfully, and I don't want to hear people saying, well, Trump does this, Trump does that, so, uh, then, then, we can, then people can counter with, well, they, Pelosi does this, Schumer does that. It, you know, it's all BS. But if you can do it respectfully, at least you can then can think about and discern what the other person is saying. And I do believe you can change hearts and minds by presenting a factual argument without snarkiness or without trying to prove that you're right all the time. Yeah, I absolutely have, and I've, you've made me feel good about my ability to engage effectively. Yes. That was not an effective, that was not the most effective. That engagement. was not leadership, no. by the way. I mean, I, mean, I mean, you and I are having a... We're having a private conversation very publicly right now. Yeah, we are, yeah. And we have these know, conversations a lot, folks. Not always on the podcast, but yeah. we have these conversations a but lot. What I'm telling you is so and I'm so proud of you because of your willingness to take on these leadership um seminars or leadership roles or how to be a leader or things that you have are training yourself to do. And, and you want to do well and your intentions are awesome. But then what pisses me off, I'm sorry. No, it's true. No, what pisses me off is that you have a public platform of 20,000 people that you cut your own legs out from under yourself. Yeah. I don't understand. That, that, oh, that, wretched man that I am. <laughs> no, I'm, 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 I'm serious. I'm being I'm not being critical. I just no, no, you are, and that's fine. I deserve well, I deserve your rebuke. I deserve it. I earned it. I need it. Well, I just don't want you to cut your own legs out. Uh, yeah, and, I, and what and what you're doing? I mean, come on. Yeah, this will help no. me not make that mistake again. <laughs> Gosh, like uh, how many times? Well, have, I, I mean, I I keep finding new wrinkles on the mistake. Uh, to make, but I will. Yeah. Well, first of all, you now, now, now comes in the component of what I'll lead into here. First of all, we've talked about this about uh, grace, right? Mm-hmm. And how I was rebuked by a priest in Chicago 
when I said to the priest, um, for those of us, I mean, I don't, I don't think this, this is important enough to repeat. I said to the priest, you know, Father, I can give grace, but I can't accept it. And he goes, you're selfish. How can you, what, what are you talking about, dude? I said, well, I forgive people all the time, but I won't accept forgiveness. But then, you know, then he said, oh, how many times are you going to keep pounding Jesus to the cross? Apparently once wasn't enough for you. Mm. And, you know, you have to be able to receive grace in order to give grace away. You give grace away. You've gotten much better. I've gotten much better. When I say you, I also mean me. So I'm talking about both of us. I've gotten much better of giving grace. We still have difficult time. I do. I can't speak for you on this. Uh, I am better, much better since being challenged at receiving grace. Mm. Because I talked to my daughter about one of my daughters about this the other day. You know, it's not like we intentionally try to hurt people. God knows the intentions of our heart. And, and, and so when our intentions are good, even though we do something wrong, we didn't set out to do something on purpose and, and attack somebody or, or put somebody down, at least for the most part, on purpose. Mm -hmm. But then we have the beauty and blessing of conviction. So when we are convicted, that's a blessing. And that is grace, which takes me to John 9, 25, where I was blind. And now I see. And so there's a there's a, a miracle in the Bible where uh, in, in chapter John nine, it's the story of the, the blind man where Jesus walks past him, uh, rubs clay, mm -hmm. spits on clay, makes mud, puts it on his eyes. Guy wipes the, the mud off. Now he sees goes to the Pharisees. The Pharisees want him to condemn Jesus. He does not condemn Jesus. He says, all I know is this. I was blind and now I see. And a lesson Jesus teaches is a spiritual blindness that we all have. Mm -hmm. Even though we think we're very spiritual and that we believe in God and we're this and that, just like the first email that you read. He went to church, told the kids to believe in God, but you know, he wasn't good enough. So from his email, he was blind spiritually and now he sees. I was blind through a lot of my spiritual journey but now I see, and I'll be blinded again a little bit, but then I have the ability through conviction and through redemption and through grace to be able to see again and to keep seeing. And the more times I experience conviction, the more times I experience grace, uh, the less times I go blind. I don't know if any of this makes sense to anybody because this is how I see it. <laughs> no, no pun intended. Yeah. And, and so I, I think, from you, you know, you do, we're just talking about you now. I, obviously, I have my trials and struggles and all that stuff and spiritual trials and my issues with anxiety and worry and all that stuff like everybody else. But um, um, for you, you, your your periods of blindness are less frequent. How's that? Does that make sense? It makes sense. It's it's less frequent because you are you were really blinded, but now you're starting to see. And so, I encourage everybody to read chapter nine. And it's a little long, but it's it's worth the read. I actually saw this on church. We were, Carrie and I were watching this on uh, Sunday morning, and I actually saw the, the the priest read this whole thing, and it was just like so awakening for me. And that, you know, I was blind and I'm still blind. And now, and I was thinking about it, well, how can we relate it to today's events? And it's an opportunity to sit back and reflect and ask yourself throughout this coronavirus, was I blind spiritually? Is now my opportunity to see, to see how I can be the hands and feet of God? see if I can take groceries to the church or to volunteer and help elderly or give blood or whatever your cause may be, hopefully, I believe there's going to be another spiritual awakening. I believe there was a spiritual awakening after 9-11, at least from my experience. And I believe there'll be another spiritual awakening after this. And I think many more people will run to Christ as opposed to run away from Christ 
when this all has passed. I sure hope so, bud. And I, uh, my mission is to be uh, a catalyst for that. And um, well, don't cut yourself off. Yeah, I know. I don't think I did a great job of it yesterday, but uh, we'll uh, hopefully uh, make it happen. I only tell in the future. you what I observed out of love, not out of being a smart ass, yeah. smart butt. No, you're <laughs> you're fine. You're fine. No, I want you know how I don't love I don't love being held accountable, but I love being accountable. If that there makes sense. So uh, good to talk to you. All right. I don't know when I'll see you again, but uh, good to talk to you. And uh, we appreciate everybody joining us here. Remember, well, uh, anything else as uh, we uh, say goodbye? Yeah, you will see me because when I drop the money off next week, ah. that's, in this, that's essential for me. I won't do the podcast. I'll stay in my car and follow the rules, but that's essential. And I think people need help, and we're going to do it. So, And when you get out that tweet on how people can uh, – Get involved, and yep. I'll retweet that, and we'll keep pressing. Fantastic. We Tackle Life uh, on Twitter at We Tackle. Uh, get your email nominations in, Podcast at gmail.com. Patronize our friends, HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. Everybody have a great day, and we'll talk to you again on Friday.